Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. So I want to welcome our live stream guests and welcome all of you. This is week six in the Hebrews Bible study, and it's about how to stand confidently before Christ. And the lesson tonight is like the culmination for me. It is my heart. You're going to see that some of these things that we've been repeating and even the author has been repeating, tonight it's going to hit the... um, like the the conclusion, it's going to hit the high, for me, it's the high watermark of Hebrews. I'm sure for Bishop, it's next week, chapter 11. But for me, Hebrews 10, you just don't get any better than Hebrews 10, because he completes that point of Jesus is the high priest. He started it in chapter 2. And remember that he's writing to Jewish believers that are wanting to go back to the old covenant, And he's making this argument. That's why so many times it seems cyclical. You're like, well, he just talked about the high priest. Well, he just talked about it. And he's building all this argument that don't go back. That old covenant was insufficient. It was not good enough. The sufficiency is only in Jesus' blood. And we're going to see that tonight. So I want you to turn with me. Speaking of covenant, turn with me to Hebrews 8 starting with verse 6. Sometimes when I'm up here teaching, I will think of a verse, and I know what it looks like in my pink Bible, but my brain can't find it, so I have to go home and search for it. So there was something I was thinking of last week, and I went home and found it. Let's look at verse 6. Hebrews 8, 6. So all of chapter 8, he's talking about the new covenant. Um, Verse 6. But now he, talking about Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second And then jump down to the very end of the chapter, the very last sentence, or very last verse. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first first covenant obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So the word I was looking for was faultless. You'll find it translated differently in different versions of the Bible, but he's saying if that first covenant had been faultless, without fault, then we wouldn't have needed a second covenant. We wouldn't have needed um, this new covenant based on the better promises. So what that means is the first covenant had faults. And we're going to see tonight that God never wanted people to come and worship and offer animal sacrifices. That was not his desire. He wanted a people to walk in obedience to him. And so that first covenant could never completely take away sin or the reminder of sin. There was an annual reminder of sin. It couldn't take away the consciousness of sin. It couldn't deal with sin completely. But Jesus was a sacrifice that dealt with sin completely. And we 
Also, again, he repeats himself in Hebrews 10:9, which we're going to get to tonight. He takes away the first, referring to covenant, in order to establish the second. So I confused myself last week trying to remember what word I was looking for, and people will argue that with you. But it clearly says the first covenant was not faultless. There were some problems with it. Mainly the, the people just couldn't do it. They just were unable to do it. They, they didn't do it. And so it led to big problems. So God provided Jesus. Okay, in terms of review, um, this was in last week's lesson. And again, we're looking at this Old Covenant, New Covenant. And these, this is Lisa's five W's and an H, interrogating the text, asking questions. And with this, it's applied to all of Hebrews, kind of two through ten. And it's about how do we draw near to God? In the Old Covenant, well, that's the what? Approaching or drawing near to God. In the Old Covenant, the tabernacle, the temple, the New Covenant, it's in heaven itself. Your prayers are in heaven itself. When you close your eyes, you're before Jesus. You're in his presence. Um, when, only once a year, but now we can do it anytime. Who? Only the high priest. And that was only after they sacrificed and, and they had to take that incense and put smoke before the Lord because nobody could see the Lord and live. And I was just so blessed this Sunday when we were in God's presence, we didn't have to put smoke to obscure our vision of God. We could just come right in without having to sacrifice and get the smoke and do all those things. How? The blood of animals, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. Jesus' blood is better, and we're going to see that. The blood of animals and the old, the new with Jesus' blood that can cleanse the conscious. Why? And this is... This is Lisa's summary of the whole Bible. God wants fellowship with holy humans. <laughs> From the beginning to the end, he wants to be with us. That's why beginning in the Garden of Eden, he, he covered them. He wanted to be with them. Even when they sinned, he is sanctifying us. We're going to look at that word tonight. He wants to be with us, and he will make us holy. We've been... Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. But we've been made holy. We are being made holy. We will be made holy. Past, present, future. So there's hope for all of us. <laughs> there's hope for all of us. Okay. So we've talked about the better tabernacle last week, the better sacrifice. This week we'll look at the better blood and again, the better sacrifice. So turn with me to Hebrews 9, because 9 and 10 really build on each other. So we're going to go back and review, starting with Hebrews 9. Um, if you'll turn to verse 1. And I'm going to throw a few comments in here and there. Let's see. Let me go ahead. All right, so I've got our tabernacle. We talked about all the different parts of the tabernacle last week. Hebrews 9, starting with verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship in the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. And behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies. 
having the golden altar of incense. And we talked last week, that meant it was adjacent to, not inside, but it was part of it because they had to get that incense to go into the Holy of Holies. Having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle. And last week as we looked at some of the Old Testament verses about the different ordinances regarding the the priestly worship, I hadn't even picked up on all the different words about perpetually, everlasting, continually, time after time, and I just started to see it through Scripture, even in the Old Testament. You can see that contrast of the over and overness of it and what we'll see tonight, which is the once for all time. They're continually entering the outer tabernacle, and this is referring to the holy place, performing the divine worship. But into the second, the holy of holies, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Now, if you look up with me, I've got verse 8 up on the slide. Chapter 9, verse 8 through verse 9. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Sometimes I let my leasiness get a little bit too much, and I've been growing in my comfort with my leasiness up here. And last week when I read that verse, I was just gut honest. I said, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> and I just kept going. But during the week, I had some time to, to look that up and find out for you a little bit more about what that means. So, um, yeah, struggle with my honesty. So the Myers New Testament commentary, and I just, um, I think I was probably on Blue Letter Bible or somewhere just searching commentaries online. He says, the Holy Ghost proclaims that so long as the Levitical priesthood and consequently the Mosaic law in general continues, the immediate access to God is not yet permitted. And thus, in order to the bringing about and rendering possible of a full and direct communion with God, the Old Testament covenant religion must first fall and the more perfect one brought in by Christ must take its place. So, That's why he's saying that this way into the holy place, this access to God hasn't yet been disclosed. While that outer tabernacle and that old system of worship was still going on. So that's what the commentary, how the commentary explained that for us. So let's pick up the second half of verse 9. Hebrews 9, 9. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, 
not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For Okay, so I want to stop right here. So, oh wait, I'm not on the slide. We're still in our Bibles. I'm getting ahead. So what he's getting ready to do is an argument that you learn in seminary is called a lesser greater. He's saying if this little Hershey kiss can satiate your desire for chocolate, how much more can this big chocolate bar do it? That's called a lesser greater. If the lesser can do it, how much more? So anytime in scripture you see the how much more, they're making an argument so he says, for the blood, verse 13, of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So if that blood was enough to cleanse the flesh for once a year until the next sacrifice, how much more can the blood of Christ cleanse us? That's exciting. So only Jesus can remove guilt and shame. The law could never remove the guilt from when we fall short. I fell a little short over the weekend. I was watching this um, show on Netflix, and I've told y'all before how like British period drama will get you with uh, <laughs> the side of the man without his clothes on, and you're like, whoa, you know, didn't expect that because it's so Jane Austen-ish and Victoria England, and you know, they were very um, prim and proper, but I was watching a show about um, a fire in France and it was, I would describe it as salacious. Like I, pull, I, didn't, I didn't watch any sheets as I call it. And towards the end, there was a lot of bad language, but I just wanted to find out how the story ended. Like does the bad guy get punished and does the good girl get free? And, and at the end, I just realized I just should have stopped. You know, sometimes you realize at the end, you just should have stopped. And there were, I had to tell Brian, there were things I saw. I, I mean, as much as I was holding up the sheets, so I, I watch in the bed, so I wouldn't see anything, and I would take out my earbuds so I wouldn't hear anything. But I just shouldn't have been watching it. You know, as much as we can try to not be defiled by the world, sometimes the world still gets on us when we're trying. So now I'm back to the practice. Like, it's... <laughs> It's very clean. It's very clean. There's no really sheets, I don't think, in the practice. Um, and y'all might be allowed to watch things with sheets, but God, I can't just because of where I've been. I can't, my eyes can't watch that. So I needed, I needed cleansing. I needed removal of things I had seen. I needed to deal with the guilt because I, I knew hey, this is getting kind of bad, but I wanted to find out. And in the end, the bad guy got punished, you know, but sometimes you should just skip to the end and watch the last 10 minutes and <laughs> save yourself. Because sometimes when the F-bomb flies in your brain too many times, 
and it's just circling around in there, and that's not what I want my brain to be full of. So I kind of violated my own standards. But if even after saying, you know, God, I'm sorry, I just blew it there. If I was still feeling guilty today after I confessed Saturday, and some of us do, for me, you know, and sin, I'm gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself, but sin does separate us from God. But if it, if it puts a wedge, if we've repented of our sin, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, he'll forgive us. I mean, it says he'll forgive us. He'll forgive us. Thank God for grace. But if two months later we're still feeling guilty for something we did two months ago, then I really want to encourage you, if that's you, then maybe you don't know Jesus as your high priest the way scripture wants you to know him. And sometimes that requires further ministry. Sometimes it takes time and spiritual growth. Um, For me, it took a long time to feel like the bride dressed in white again, which I am. But that's the goal, is that guilt and shame would not constantly assail us for our shortcomings, and we can learn to walk in truth. Like, Holy Spirit spoke to me in Trader Joe's one day, just because you do stupid things doesn't mean you are stupid. And so I can kind of do stupid things all day long, but it does not mean I'm stupid. That's the lie that says you're so stupid. But no, Holy Spirit said just because Lisa does stupid things does not mean she is stupid. So we're constantly renewing our minds. And what I want you to see tonight is the blood of Jesus was enough to cover your sin, God remembers it no more. That's the new covenant. We're gonna look at that. But his sacrifice is sufficient, okay? It's sufficient. If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer can cleanse your flesh once a year, how much more will the blood of Jesus cleanse your conscience? It will cleanse our conscience, and we can walk in freedom. Now, I haven't figured out what to do with regret, because there are still some things that I've done that I regret. They're not keeping me up at night, but I wish I hadn't done them. I can't change that. You know, and so I guess we just kind of, what do we do with regret? Do we... He remembers it no more. So I just said, Lord, it's still a battle. Yeah. It's a battle. But Lord, if you remember it no more, then I should not have to remember this. Yes. So just ask God to remove that memory because God doesn't remember it. Because sometimes when I first got saved, (laughs) I was very zealous, but I was still drinking. So we would go to these American Nuclear Society meetings, and I wasn't even legal, but the professors and the staff would get the girls drinks, because there were only like two girls. <laughs> so they would get us drinks at the bar. And, and I would pray before the meals, and I was tipsy. I mean, I was just stupid, but I was zealous. So I've got some regret, because at one of the meetings, there was a Jewish professor there. At my, he wasn't at my table, but I was just stupid. You know, I was coming out of the world, and I was zealous, but I was still stupid. And so I regret that. 
I regret that my witness wasn't what it should have been as, as I was growing. And it's interesting because I'm going back to Raleigh next week, Tuesday. I'm sharing my testimony at the um, NC State, I think it's the University Club. It's on Hillsborough Street. I think it's that same place where I prayed before our meal, tipsy, with the Jewish professor. Yes, he factors in our stupidity. Yes, but I just think it's interesting that I'm going back, you know, and it's been almost 30 years, but I'm going back to share the gospel. I'm not going to be tipsy, <laughs> praise the Lord, unless they, like, spike my water. I will not be tipsy. There will be no free, there will be no open bar. Yes, godly sorrow leads to repentance, yes. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Okay, verse 15, Hebrews 9, 15. So he just did that lesser, greater argument. For this reason, he, we're still talking about Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now jump down to verse 23. Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but, with the, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself. So some of these things you're hearing the repetition. He's still building this argument now to appear in the presence of God, verse 25. Nor was it that he, should, he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. I just get so excited when I see but now once. It says but now once. At the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 27, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. So he's coming back for us. Praise the Lord. The kingdom is already, but not yet. We're living in it now. The kingdom is coming, but there is a date when there will be a consummation, and we will be experiencing all the benefits of his kingdom, 100%. Okay, so we're building the argument. Turn to Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of the things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, Make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? He's saying if the, these sacrifices could make you clean, well, they would have quit sacrificing. 
like otherwise they would have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible, say impossible. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So under the old covenant, it was impossible for sin to be done away with and the memory of sin to be done away with. This word impossible, and this is on your handout, it's a um, combination, it's a compound word. The first is ad, I haven't taken Greek yet, New Testament, but it's somewhere close to adunatos. The A is basically a negative, it means not. And then there's the dunatos, which means powerful. So the strongest definition of this word, adunatos, is unable, weak, impossible, and impotent. So what this means is the blood of bull, bulls and goats was not powerful, not able. It had no miraculous power to take away sin. My insides are getting excited. <laughs> In contrast, that means that the blood of Jesus is dunatos. The blood of bulls and goats, impossible. But the blood of Jesus is dunatos. That means it is powerful. It is able. It is full of power. The blood of Jesus, when we sing, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Right from Scripture. It's powerful. It's powerful. The blood of Jesus the word of God is full of living power. The blood of Jesus was full of living power. That is exciting. It can take away sin. It causes God to no longer remember our sins. So he's going to continue to build this argument about Jesus and sacrifices. And logic is really hard for me. And if it's hard for you, just hang on. We're going to get through it. So verse 5, so it says, therefore, when he comes into the world, referring to when Jesus came as a human into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you, referring to God, have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. So when you're reading your Bible, and it might have stuff that's like in brackets and maybe all caps, what that means is it's referring to usually the Old Testament scriptures. And so sometimes in the margin, it might tell you in the cross-references where that is, or you could Google it, which I do quite a lot. But... It's telling you that these scriptures come from somewhere else. Now, let's see. So this came from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. 
And this is a messianic psalm. When there are scriptures or prophecies that are pointing to Jesus, they're called messianic, referring to the Messiah. Psalm 46 through 8, verse, starting with verse 6. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Now, sometimes you'll go back to the Old Testament and you'll see, well, the wording is different. And I finally figured out in seminary one of the reasons it's different. So, the New Testament writers, they were writing in what language? Greek. They had a document, most of it was in Greek. They, they were writing in Greek, but they had a document of the Old Testament scriptures, but they were using this Septuagint, Sep, help me, honey, Septuagint, which was written in Greek, but it was a translation from the Hebrew scriptures. So it was just a little different because just like English and Spanish are different, Hebrew and uh, Greek were different. So the, the New Testament writers weren't pulling out their Hebrew scriptures. They were most likely, well, here they were quoting, if we got out our Septuagint, it would say very closely to what the New Testament authors have written. So that's why you can, when you compare, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Now, the author of Hebrews could add anything he wanted to, not because he's violating scripture, but because he's writing to a certain group of people in a certain time period who spoke a certain language and had a certain culture. And just like I didn't stand up and tell my niece who's not been in church, the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus was enough to satisfy the old covenant. And da, 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 da. I just said, God loves you and he wants to be with you forever and he's made a way through his son. You know, so depending on the audience, just like I said last week, they would craft their message so it would be understood by the hearers of who is hearing it. So the commentator Wearsby, oh, let me, okay, let me go down and read verses 8 through 9. Hmm. I think I made a mistake in my notes. Give me one second. Hebrews 10, 8. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law, then he said, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first, and the reference here is the first covenant, in order to establish the second. So the commentator Wearsby says, and this is the Warren Wearsby, very accessible commentary in layman's terms that people like me can understand. Jesus came to do the Father's will. This will is the new covenant that has replaced the old covenant. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ has taken away the first covenant and established the second. So the readers of this epistle called Hebrews would get the message, why go back to a covenant that has been taken away? Why go back to sacrifices that are inferior? It was 
very complicated and hard, very much. They needed grace. Oh, I'm about to do my happy dance. Verse 10, by this will, so he's talking about God's will. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So, and we're going to come back to that scripture. Let me read a couple more, and then we're going to look at two of them side by side. Verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down. (laughs) Y'all, when you sit down, you're like, the work is done. He sat down. He made the sacrifice. The work was done. He sat down at the right hand, that position of authority. Sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies were made a footstool for his feet. That's referring to that parousia, as I think my professor was saying, when Jesus comes. (laughs) When Jesus comes. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That's us, y'all. And the Holy, okay, let's stop there because I want to hit these two verses. So I put them up side by side. Verse 10 and verse 14. By this will, remember it's referring to God's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Okay, so just a couple things. When you see this word perfect in the New Testament, it doesn't mean like my navy shoes match my navy socks, which match my navy pants, which match this shirt, which was chosen because it matched my nails. Like the whole thought process was, what color are my nails? What shirt matches my nails? Only one shirt because I've got a lot of red. You know, I want to look perfect. Yes. It's a woman thing. Mary Esther understands, okay? I was following the scripture, but I Yes. So the word perfect, Pastor Tom, in the scripture, it means mature. It literally is like hitting the mark. Remember, sin is missing the mark. Mature, complete, it means hitting the mark. I liken it to hitting a bullseye. Like we are, we are aiming towards the mark, which is to be like Jesus. That word perfect means we're hitting the mark. It means mature. It doesn't mean you've got your life all together and you match if that's important to you. You know, it, it doesn't mean you didn't blow it last weekend watching Netflix. It means you're mature, okay? He's making us mature for all time, those who are sanctified. So let's look at this word sanctified. This is on your handout. I'm not even, well, I might try to say it. Hagiazo. It means to make holy. It comes from the root word meaning holy, hagios. It means to purify or consecrate. Okay, so let's stop right there for just a second. Um, I love to use the the, um, devotional, my utmost for his highest. It's all about sanctification. 
It's all about, and, and I even had to look up one time, what is sanctification? It simply means being made like Jesus, okay? It means being made like Jesus, being purified. My name Lisa comes from Elizabeth, which means consecrated. It means being set apart, made holy, made like Jesus. You know, it doesn't mean we're all just going to sit around and, oh, God, you're so holy. You know, it, it means we're set apart for him. It means we're his. We're marked, and the world can see by the way we live and what we say. And like when I go into Sam's Club and I make my returns, I say, I'm the nice one. They're like, yeah, you're the nice one. <laughs> it means by the way we live, people can see we're different, that I don't go in there and stand in line and, you know, when, it, when the line's long and everybody's like looking at each other, like, can you believe they don't call somebody else, you know, and you're all mumbling. And then when you get up there, you're grumpy. And y'all, I've got flesh too, you know, I get huffy too, but I want to be known as the nice one, the one that comes in and is patient and comforts them when everybody else has been ugly to them. I mean, customer service is hard. But we want to be different. That's what being consecrated means. We're a peculiar, set-apart, different people. That's what love is. It's patient. That's what we talked about in pursuit last night. I was sharing about the missions trip to Costa Rica and how I learned to love. And I shared places where I, I messed it up, at least in my head. And God convicted me, you know, areas of pride. Like, sometimes you think, well, I could do this better. <laughs> when you're a leader especially, you look for how it could be, and not referring to your leadership, but you, you look at things, you know, how it could be more efficient, how, how you could get more people involved, how the slides could be better, and how this or that. Your brain's always thinking, but when you move into, I could do this better, you've moved into pride and criticism, so there's always a balance when you see areas that can be improved if you're just going to stand and shake your finger and say, well, I could do this better. If they would just put me in charge, I would just get the ship in shape. No, that's, that's pride and criticism. But love is something different. Love is saying, hey, how can I help? What can I do to help this run better? But that's an aside. But I was just sharing um, things I did well in Costa Rica and areas where I blew it and where God had to sit me down and say, you have no right to yourself. You have no rights to anything. <laughs> I have rights to you. I'm the only one in the relationship with rights. And you get all of that from reading my utmost for his highest because that's what Oswald Chambers, like if you're struggling with pride and self-centeredness, just one page of Oswald Chambers, he will set you down and tell you, you are nothing. Jesus is everything. <laughs> I need that. Okay, so sanctified. Okay, I'm going to get just a little bit um, complicated for you. So, Greek verbs have tense, mood, and voice. And I'm not going to, I'm going to just give you the answers for the fill in the blanks. I'm not going to explain all of that. But if you want to look, you can use, I think it's studylight.org. You can see the tense, the mood, and the voice of the individual verbs. So this word sanctified in these two passages, when you look at the definition, the tense, the mood, what, what these verses mean, 
they mean we were consecrated at a point in the past. So some verbs, it means something has happened in the past with, continue, with actions felt in the future. So it means we were consecrated at a point in the past, we were made holy, and we continue to be holy. So it's a process that has a beginning, but it continues. I'm not going to read all this, but what I'm going to say is we were sanctified by Jesus. The process were begun, was begun. We were sanctified. And right now, we are being sanctified. We are still in the process. It's continuous action. And my professor from New Testament, he wrote this amazing, I just printed a few pages of it. It was like a 30-page article on sanctification. And I got so excited as I read it because he went through all those scriptures that says, that say you were sanctified. And then he presented the scriptures that say, you are being sanctified. You are being, you were made like Jesus, but you're being made like Jesus. And you're going to be made like Jesus. So it started in the past. It began. We are in the process, and there is an end to the process when Jesus comes. There's an end. So we have been sanctified. We are being sanctified, and we will be. Does that make sense? It's hard to grasp. But what I like about it is, is it shows Holy Spirit's at work in us. God is always at work in us. What is it, Philippians 2.12? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and then a lot of preachers stop there. And I'm like, oh, read the second half of the verse. Because God is always at work in you to make you willing and able to obey his own purpose. God is always at work in you. Always at work in you. Always, always at work in you. So sanctification started. We, we've already been sanctified. It's, it started. <laughs> it's, it racks your brain. It's a supernatural thing to understand that it has been done, it's being done, and it will be done. But there are scriptures that support all three parts of sanctification. And you, you study it out, understanding these verbs. So we have been sanctified. Okay, I have to move on because I could just stay on that forever. That's so encouraging to one that still blows it. Still blow it. Okay, Hebrews 10. Let's see how I'm doing. Okay. Verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. So you know, if God has forgiven your sin, why are you still trying to pay for it? It's illegal. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, verse 18, there is no longer any offering for sin. We can't pay for it. But when we're living in that guilt and shame, 
We're trying to pay for it. We're trying to make up for it. We're trying to atone for it. We're trying to appease. We're trying to think, well, God, if I do this, 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 and this, will I be good again? And God's like, you've been made holy since the foundation of the world. You've been made holy. Don't do the same thing again. (laughs) You know, learn from your mistake. Grow. Be made like Jesus. We're being made like Jesus. That's what's important, is that when you fall, you learn and you get back up, and God willing, you won't do the same thing again. But even when you do, there's grace, and you'll fall, and you'll repent, and you'll get back up. We're growing. So this new covenant, it's in Hebrews 8, which Bishop taught and we've reviewed Um, I've got the reference there down for you. Um, Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34 talks about this new covenant. And again, he says, I'll forgive. And actually, Hebrews 8 quotes from, oh, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. I'm pretty sure it pulls from Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34. Yes. Yep. And then also, this is on your handout. This is another part of the new covenant, Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So there's this new covenant. This is the covenant I'll make with them. So Holman says, the old covenant had provided for an annual remembrance of sin. The new covenant promised no more remembrance of sin. An annual remembrance of sin when they had the Day of Atonement, paid for that year's sin, reminded them every year. But we don't have to ever be reminded of our sin again. No more. There's no more written need, written ceremony, anything to remind us of sin. Now, the devil will do it, but if we resist him, he'll flee from us. If we quit listening, he'll shut up. Verse 19. Oh, I get so excited. It says, therefore, therefore, therefore. He's concluding his argument. Therefore, because of all of these things he's presented, Jesus, the better high priest, the better sacrifice, the better tabernacle, the better covenant, the better blood, better than angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have, say we have, we have, We have, since we have a great high priest. So first it says, since we have confidence. And then since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So for all of these reasons, he's given you a bunch of reasons. And then he's going to tell you what to do. Remember how I talked about there's the, um, the, what was it, indicative and imperative Y'all, in my brain, like when I've gone to Costa Rica and back, I forget things. (laughs) But the indicative is the fact of what Jesus has done and what Scripture says. The imperative is when they tell you what to do. So he's given you the indicative. Since you have a high priest, 
since you have confidence, since there's a new way. This is brand new. There's a new way, and it's alive, a new and living way. Because of this, then do this. Verse 22, this is an exhortation, and he's going to give us a few exhortations. Let us draw near. Oh, I love that. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience. We can draw near to God. We don't have to be afraid of him. We don't have to be afraid. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We can draw near. So how are you living in light of that? I spent years in guilt and shame and the I'm sorry's. How are you living in light of these truths? That's application. And if you need help, ask. Let us pray for you. Because the devil doesn't want you to have access to God. He wants to keep reminding you of your sin and your shame, your failures, your mistakes, all the reason you don't deserve to be in God's presence. Because he doesn't want you to get free enough to draw near to God, to grow in your faith, for God to be able to use you. He wants to keep you outside of God's presence. He wants to keep you in the tabernacle. And he can just forget it. Amen. Amen. So I've given you a chart, and I'm not going to read through this. You can look at it at home. But it's comparing the two types of sacrifices and looking at their sufficiency. And it's comparing how the blood of animals couldn't do squat, but just cleanse them before God for a year. In God's mind, they were, they were cleansed for another year. But the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus, the right side of the chart, we gain eternal redemption, cleanses our conscience, it sanctifies us, it's one sacrifice for our sins for all time. So it's just summarizing this. It gives us confidence. Wearsby says, no animal sacrifices ever purchased eternal redemption. We have eternal redemption. It's secured by the finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. So, oh, I did want to read this. So one thing that the Holman commentary mentioned was, you know, what is it about Jesus' sacrifice that, that was the better blood? I mean, he was the son of God. He lived a sinless life. But I have on your handout, you know, in, in this article, in this chapter, excuse me, he's talking about how God didn't delight in all these animal sacrifices. They brought him no joy but Psalm 51:17 says the sacrifices of God 
or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And Holman just points out that these animal sacrifices were ineffective in removing sin. They were intended to foreshadow Jesus, who would later come to die to take away sin. Only the death of the perfect God-man could take away sin. And then he quotes this verse, that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God won't despise. He says, God accepted the perfect sacrifice of Christ because it represented a broken, contrite expression of obedience to his will. Now, this is one commentator's opinion, but I highlighted the whole thing. It was a commitment to doing God's will. Jesus pursued the Father's will relentlessly. Those who had offered the animal sacrifices in the past, they pleased God when they were truly sacrificing from an obedient spirit because the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite spirit. He says, wholehearted obedience was the only sacrifice God really wanted, and he found this response supremely in Jesus Christ. For Jesus, doing God's will was his goal. I liked that. I liked that, that Jesus, because of his contrite heart, his broken spirit, his sacrifice was accepted. So, conclusion to this part of Hebrews 10, we have a couple more um, exhortations. 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what he's saying is, now that you get that Jesus paid for your sin, now that God can use you because you're not just sitting at home saying, God, I'm so sorry I did X, Y, and Z 10 years ago. You're not feeling defeated. You're not feeling like God could never use you or you don't deserve God to do anything. When you get rid of all that stuff, you can serve God. You can serve God. And he's saying, since now you get my argument and you have confidence to go before God, serve him. Serve him. Draw near to him. Encourage one another. Hold fast your confession stimulate one another. Hey, that means serve the body. Serve, help people, because you're not so stuck in all your past and your guilt and your shame and feeling like you're not good enough to talk with a microphone. You're disqualified. Sin can make you feel disqualified, but the blood of Jesus can empower you and set you free. He's saying, do the work. I'm going to jump ahead. Um, just an example. We're not going to turn there, but Isaiah 6, 
This is the example of Isaiah saying, I saw the Lord. And then he's so repentant because he's like, you know, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among the unclean people. But then God, through an, uh, an angel, a being, brought a coal to cleanse Isaiah. And then they said, you know, who will go for us? And Isaiah wasn't saying, woe is me. He was saying, here I am, send me. When you get this understanding that God has completely cleansed you and continues to cleanse you and will cleanse you, you can say, send me. Because you know God is faithful. You know that even if he sends you to Costa Rica and you have prideful, selfish, sinful thoughts, he'll take care of that. He'll give you an attitude adjustment. If you're open, if you read your my utmost for his highest and he says you don't have any rights, you can say send me even though you're still not like Jesus perfectly because he's going to make you like Jesus. As you serve God, let me tell you, I have had some rough edges sandpapered off of me. A lot of rough edges. You know, the tares perfect the wheat in Scripture. There have been some tares that have perfected my walk with Jesus and my own mistakes and my own struggle with my flesh. But when God cleanses us and we get the revelation that now we can stand, we don't have to, woe is me, you know, that God's going to kill me. We can say, here am I, send me, trusting that he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. If I've learned anything through speaking for the last four years is that God will not stand you up when you say, I'll do it. He will not, I think about runaway bride and how, all the grooms were stood up at the altar. God won't stand you up at the altar. If you show up, he'll show up. That's what I've learned. No matter what you've gone through, how you feel, he'll show up because he's faithful. And he wants to minister to people far more than I do. Like, I want to go home and get in my bed. I, sometimes I'll preheat my bed before I come to church so when I get home, the electric blanket is on. Like when I get to about five o'clock, I'm just thinking about the bed. But God cares about y'all, sometimes more than I do. And that's why he shows up and speaks through me because he wants to sanctify you. He wants to make you like Jesus. He's just using a weak, electric blanket loving woman like me to show up and do it. Because he knows once I show up, I'm in the game. <laughs> but he's got to get me here hard sometimes. Okay, let's look at the once for allness of Jesus' sacrifice. And I put this on your handout because I don't want you to miss it, okay? This is what really transformed my life. So I've listed all the scriptures, and we read them tonight because we're building this argument from Hebrews 9 and 10. The priests were continually entering Performing the worship, Hebrews 9.25, they went year by year, Hebrews 10.1, and I've got these words I'm highlighting in bold. The same sacrifices which they offer, here it says continually and year by year. 
10.3, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. Hebrews 10.11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices. So you should get the picture now. They did it over and over, over and over and over, continually, year by year, time after time. In the Old Testament, we saw continually, perpetually, all these words that signified this never ends. This never ends, and it doesn't do anybody a lot of good. But then I've listed all the scriptures that either say one or once. Hebrews 9, 12. He entered the holy place once for all. Hebrews 9, 26. At the but, right in the middle. But now once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, Hebrews 10.10, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Hebrews 10.12, but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10.14, for by one offering he is perfected for all time. Those who are sanctified. Okay, so I've made us a nice chart. And you can see very clearly that under the old covenant, year by year, time after time, continually. Under the new covenant, once for all, once, once, once for all, one sacrifice for all time, one offering for all time. Do you get the picture? That changed my life because I kept trying to pay for my own sin. I kept dragging my head to God saying, God, please forgive me again. And what this means is like the sin that I'm going to commit two years from now, from now, it's already paid for. Once. 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 For all. For all time, it's already paid for. The sin you might commit the day before you die when some nurse walks into the room and you think, why is she wearing that? I used to visit this old lady in the nursing home and she would say, some people just shouldn't wear pants. Like when you're 95 years old, you have no filter. She would say whatever came to her mind and I'm reading her letters and I just can't get rid of a one of them because they're so precious to me. I actually led her to the Lord, but she had all these things. So like when you're in the rest home one day, you might have a, you might, you might sin. Paid for. It's already paid for. All your past sin, current, future, one sacrifice. There's no more sacrifice for sin. You get it? You get it. Okay, so I'm going to start wrapping this up. Our sin is paid in full. I was looking up videos from Dave Ramsey. There's this scream they do when they're debt-free. And I, I couldn't find a good YouTube video of the debt-free scream, but imagine if you had a big debt and you paid it all off, how happy you would be and how loud you, were, you would scream. We're debt-free, y'all. We're debt-free forever, forever. We're debt-free. It's paid in full, just like Bishop taught. 
You're not paying the minimum payment. You're like paying off the whole thing. That's what Jesus did. I love that. So we don't owe anything. Okay, so this is what I want you to teach you, want to teach you. I call it the one for four. One sacrifice for all sin, for all time. What did you learn in Hebrews? I learned the one for four. One sacrifice. It says for sin, I add the all, for sin for all time. And that truth can set you free. We have a high priest, an intercessor, a mediator, a way into God's presence. We have confidence to approach God. We have a better covenant, which deals with sin. Better blood cleanses us in our conscience. A better tabernacle, heaven itself. A better sacrifice. It's just Jesus, only once. It was sufficient, and it was final. Okay? Those two charts, one showed the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus to pay for sin. One showed the finality. It's only once. Only once. We have a high priest, and we have a confidence to draw near. So this is the finished work of Christ. When Jesus said it is finished, that's what he meant. Wearsby said, the ministry of the priest in the tabernacle and, and temple was never done and never different. It was the same sacrifices day after day. What tens of thousands of animal sacrifices could never accomplish, Jesus accomplished with one sacrifice forever. Just one, once. So I want to pull back up Hebrews, um, turn back to Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, the punchline. I just want you to see it in a little different way. So it says, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, because of a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. So I, I put it in this, I break down scripture like I'll pull out the prepositional phrases and I break it down and put it into place until it makes sense to me. So in these verses, because of the new covenant, we have confidence to enter the holy place. And then he's telling us the, how we're doing it. By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, by his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, and then the conclusion, let us draw near. So for Hebrews, like 2 through 10, this is our punchline. He's kind of going to be concluding the argument on Jesus being the high priest. And then he's going to move us on to faith and more, which Bishop's going to wrap, you know, the next two weeks. So it's not over. We're just finished with this part that makes Lisa's heart go. So, we have confidence. And that word means full trust. In the English, it's the feeling of belief that you can rely on someone. But in the Greek, it's a, it's a, it means freedom in speech. Like I can go to Pastor Tom if, if we've had a talk and I'm 
having that regret. Why did I say that? That was so stupid. I shouldn't have said that to my senior pastor. I can go to him and say, hey, are we okay? Because I've got confidence. I can just go and say, hey, are we okay? <laughs> and, and sometimes, like, after last Wednesday's Bible study, I texted him, hey, was that okay? <laughs> so I've got confidence to speak with freedom to my senior pastor because I know he loves me and he wants what's best for me. And so we have that same confidence with God. The opposite, fear. I spent many years fearing pastors. Actually, when I came to this church, I was afraid of pastors. I remember the first time you came, you sat in the back at a ladies' meeting and I was speaking at it and I finally realized, I'm not afraid of pastors anymore. My pastor's in here. And I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of there you go. He's amazing. <laughs> so, in conclusion, one more slide. That's right. <laughs> so, we can either have confidence to approach God by the blood of Jesus, or we can be afraid to approach God because we doubt the blood of Jesus is sufficient for our sin. I showed you in the chart, it's sufficient. It's enough. It's enough for even your sin. It's enough to cover what you did. It's enough to cover that thing that you hope you never have to tell anybody. It's enough for even that. So if you're still not able to, well, wherever you worship, if you're not able to just close your eyes and just be in God's presence without thoughts of you're not good enough, you shouldn't be here, you don't deserve that, he'll never love you, you'll never overcome that sin, then press forward, press in. Know that there is a freedom for you. That is not what Jesus paid for. He paid for you to be able to just... <sighs> Lordy, I love you. Thank you for your grace for me today. <laughs> I'm your daughter. I'm here. Show up because you're so amazing. I mean, there's just a peace because there's confidence that he's, he's for me. He loves me. He'll convict me when I get off. He will. He'll convict you when you get off. And if you're stuck in sin, there's deliverance. Jesus came for you to be free from that. Tell somebody, call the church, get some help, because if we can all stand in that confidence, we can do great things. We can build the kingdom together from a place of wholeness and health. That's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you. So, Father, I just thank you that we're all in a journey of being made like Jesus. I thank you that we're, we're all walking out of the person we have been, maybe the person we are right now. I thank you that you're always at work in us, that your grace is sufficient for us, your power is perfected even in our weakness. God, I thank you that you, more than I, God, you want to move the people here tonight 
into that full revelation that they can have complete confidence in your presence, that they don't have to have the slightest tremor of fear when they stand before you, even when they've blown it. God, I just ask that you would, well, I just, I pray and I impart a supernatural revelation of these truths. I impart the supernatural ability to understand the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus and the finality of his sacrifice and to receive it to cover all past failures. I just impart a knowledge of the love of God that is so deep and so broad, so incomprehensible, God, that they can stand in that love, stand in confidence in your presence, God. I thank you that you're making us like Jesus. We, are be- we have been sanctified. We're being sanctified. We will be sanctified. We've been made holy. We're being made holy. We will be. I thank you for those promises. God, you've promised it. You'll bring it to pass. So, Lord, I bless those who have come tonight, who have set apart time for discipleship, God, to to learn about your word. And I just pray, Father, that you will continue to speak to them, God, that you'll never give up on them. In Jesus' name. That was excellent. Amen. Um, this is such an important revelation of truth. Uh, I don't know how we get hold of that any deeper, but the blood of Jesus, we have no idea. We really have no full concept of how powerful it is, but there's these glimpses of things that happen. I was doing a prayer ministry. I just want to share with you. I know you know the scripture in Revelation 12 where he says that it has come at last that salvation and power And the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ, the accuser of the brethren, brothers and sisters, has been thrown down. The one who accuses them day and night. And they, they defeated him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. I was doing a prayer ministry and it was a very, very sporty prayer ministry. Okay. It's probably the most demons I've ever seen a person carry, and I've done a lot of deliverances. And what was so powerful revelation to me and my prayer partner <laughs> was during the deliverance, and it was, had gotten very sporty, and there was a lot of demonic manifestations. When we would cast out a demon, and I got to a place where this, was, this demon was struggling to come out. There was authorization there in the person that had not been let go by confession and repentance. And I said, the blood of the lamb, the word says, we have overcome you by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. The word says it. And the demon turned to me and says, I hate the word and I hate you and I hate the blood. I hate the blood. I said, well, guess what? And that thing broke. The power of the blood of Christ. Well, we don't understand. The concepts that we're taught tonight are something you just got to meditate on. You got to get to the believe place where The blood has set me free. My testimony of the one who has done this for me makes the demons absolutely tremble. And we have access to it. That's why no matter what, how messed up things are you've done, you can come confidently. I'm covered in the blood. (laughs) You got to let that go in because it'll cause you to fall in love.
in such a way it'll cause you to sense and realize the power that you carry to, to set others that have been captivated free. When you let that go and, you, and then you operate and it's like, man, I was in love with Jesus. What he did for us. Mm. So let's stand. Lord, I just pray for the, the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we now testify. It is ours. We have access to it. Um, we don't have to be afraid. Throne room access. The veil's torn wide open. So, Lord, I thank you. I just thank you, Lord. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you that you're not trying to get us to work for you. You're trying to be, have us be with you in testimony. I love what, that, what Lisa said. God wants relationship with holy humans. The blood is the access. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. That was excellent. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Praise God, everybody. Bishop, you're going to take it away. I can't wait to hear the next phase. God bless you, everybody. Have a good night.